Hello, folks. Welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. Today, we had the pleasure of speaking with Rob Nasso, um, whose grandfather went by Rob Naso. Interesting little fact you'll hear at the end. Um, and he's has a very, very interesting career path that he's taken. I think you'll enjoy listening to what he did, how he learned, what his education and background is. But I think most interestingly, what I took away from it is having a great mentor and somebody like Sonny has kind of helped him throughout his career to to learn and grow. And I think that's that's been interesting to listen to. Yeah, I mean, I we I first met Rob in person at the our round, real estate asset management roundtable event, and I could just tell when he walked in the room. I mean, he kind of downplays his uh, himself, but he, he does have definitely has a presence. Like people kind of like want to gravitate towards him. Uh, he is very kind person, but like direct. You know what I mean? Um, and it feels like he could, you know, talk to people at a bunch, you know, at a, at a bunch of different subjects and different levels, um, pers- personally as well as professionally. So, uh, definitely like a special guy, and I can see, you know, partially why he he's been so successful. You know, yes, his humility is so endearing, and I, you know, I, I just every day I look at his little posts on LinkedIn about the glass being half full, and I just think you know, kudos to his parents because they raised the kid who, who has it all together. Yeah. You should, everyone please follow. I think you can just follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, he's got great posts he put out every day. So he's, yeah, great guy. And especially earlier in your career, like take, take his advice. I'm taking his advice. His yeah. advice. Yeah. You're still <laughs> early. You're still early in your career. Lisa. Well, thanks, Chris. <laughs> everyone, uh, please have a great rest of your summer. We really appreciate your, your loyalty to this this program and as always please feel free to pass along the link to your friends so they can share and like and comment and spread the word and if you have any suggestions for questions or guests or just need some career advice um please reach out and we'd be happy to help you have a wonderful rest of the summer everyone All right, folks, welcome to the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. Today, we have Rob Naso with us, and we are very excited to chat with him. Uh, Today, you have me, Lisa Flicker, your host, and Chris Papa, your other host. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Good good afternoon, everybody. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. How's it doing down in Jersey today, Rob? Uh, Nice and sunny. Excellent. Well, it's is, it, is, it, is it very warm there? Is it, is it like I'm out in California, so it's beautiful. Uh, no, no, you. Humi- uh, yeah, it's warm enough. No humidity. The one thing I uh, we have our, our company outing in the Hamptons. I forget. I, you know, I miss the hot weather because it never gets hot here. But I def- I forget about bugs. We have no bugs out here. Yeah. It's strange. It's so weird. Like I never have. There's never bugs. And I, I wonder because <laughs> of the fires. I I just think it doesn't get like. I don't know, but the mosquitoes, like I forget, oh, mosquitoes are the, uh, the, the devil's, the, the devil's, uh, I don't Sorry. know, something, but they're awful. <laughs> right. So Rob, we're happy to have you on with us today. And I think, you know, it's interesting because in addition to obviously having an incredible career path, one of the things that I love about you is your optimism and your 
interesting posts on LinkedIn that always start with the glass is half full. So tell us a little bit about kind of how you keep that optimism up and how you kind of came to, to building that out. Uh, it's pretty funny. I, um, I consider myself uh, pretty blessed, to be honest, in that uh, I do have an incredibly positive outlook. Um, I mean, I, it's funny. I've talked about this with my wife and, and I literally I, I can say I've had a handful, two or three terrible days in my life. You know, when I've had, you know, my dad passing or my mother having a stroke or my daughter being in the NICU. I mean, you know, I can very and on one hand, you know, count the number of issues that I've had. Uh, but I'm incredibly grateful for um, kind of the life I've been able to lead. I think I had a great upbringing, you know, as a child and um, uh, very humble beginnings. Um, and, you know, I think uh, I don't take a lot for granted. Um, uh, and I, I just am incredibly grateful for, you know, kind of what God's been able to put in front of me. And, and by no means am I a, a right wing uh, you know, conservative Christian. I just, uh, I did grow up in a, a Catholic household and went to Catholic high school and, and just uh, loved every minute of it. And uh, I consider myself a recovering Catholic a bit now because, you know, I find myself uh, very liberal uh, or on the liberal side um, uh, with some Republican underpinnings. So it, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, dilemma in terms of where I sit. Um, and again, you know, my family has been really interesting in that, you know, my wife is of Indian descent and my kids are biracial and oh, wow. uh, I've had to deal with stuff before uh, with them in terms of racism and uh, uncomfortable, um, you know, times. And, and it's all, you know, been okay. Um, we've kind of worked through it and it's all ended up okay. So um, I don't know. I don't know where all the positivity comes from, but, but um, you know, again, my dad was an incredible extrovert, which I think as a kid is incredibly annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, you know, it, it's all worked out. And did you have any designs? Like I see you, you went to, you grew up in Long Island. I see you went to school at the University of Scranton, did accounting. Like Lisa, Lisa, Lisa's a recovering accountant, um, a CPA. Did you have designs to be an accountant? Yeah, no. So it's funny. So again, like I, I love to tell the story how my dad, you know, I, I literally am the first one in my family to go to a four year undergraduate college. Right. My dad went to school, got kicked out, ended up going to night school and, and uh, became a teacher. Um, and so, you know, my did that my dad or mother, my mother was a stay at home mom. And so I didn't grow up with uh, a business understanding. I didn't grow up with my dad's friends knowing how to open doors or make connections. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not the life I grew up with. And so when I went to um, St. Anthony's High School, uh, there were a lot of kids from that school that ended up going to the University of Scranton. I think from our class, we have probably close to 400 people. We probably had 15, I think, that ended up in, in Scranton. Uh, and again, it, it's interesting connecting the dots now behind you, but you know that was one of the best experiences of my life. And I didn't know anything about college. And it's funny, I talk about my dad, but you know, I remember going to the University of Maryland, which back then probably had, I don't know, 30,000 people. And my dad walked me on the tour and stopped every pretty girl and asked how they liked it. <laughs> you want to talk about embarrassing it? It was incredible for me. Right. And and so, you know, I, I just laughed because I ended up making incredible friends in Spren. It was a school that was Division three sports, didn't have a football team, had no fraternities or sororities. It was just very different, very humble, very 
uh, kind of down the middle. And, and it was an experience that, that I treasured in terms of, you know, uh, I look at it as being very formative. There was a number of people from my high school that went to the University of Scranton, too. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and why did you study accounting? I mean, a lot of people do that. I know it's like a safe industry like my dad studied engineering yeah, like so, you always need engineers you always need accountants you know yeah the so what i would tell you is uh my dad did have one friend at deutsche bank um and that person i think had made reference to accounting just being a good career that would provide a, a foundation and um <laughs> really on that basis you know i, I figured uh it's probably a good thing to come out uh with and i laugh because um, I had to work much harder than I think general people um, uh, to just generate, you know, a B plus. And again, um, the, I, I was left because I hated accounting. I, I think I, uh, I was on the accounting uh, board. I was one of four officers, and I think I was the only one that did not get an offer from back then a big six firm. Um, and again, in hindsight, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I think um, I was not an accountant. I didn't like it. I said, I've never done my own taxes. Right? <laughs> I've always hired somebody else. Um, but again, like in 92, when I got out of school, the, the job market was horrific. Uh, I think I sent out 300 resumes and cover letters. Uh, and I literally got one offer. Um, uh, and it was in the back office uh, accounting group for uh, Prudential Securities. Um and again, for a kid out in way out in Long Island to get on the Long Island Railroad every morning and take an hour and a half trip into Manhattan and then have to get on a subway and go downtown. <laughs> like I had to pitch myself, right? I mean, that, that was great. Um, and again, people forget that that was back when Times Square was not nice, right? It was, it was still a bit sketchy, but getting obviously much better. Um, and I never forget, you know, my dad was a, uh, a Vietnam vet, and I'd say a tough guy. And he used to tell me all the time, he said, don't look at anybody, don't talk to anybody, just get on the train and get home. Because um, he was nervous about, you know, everything happening in Manhattan. And um, again, it was a phenomenal experience for me to, to spend two years at, at Prudential uh, in the accounting group. I knew that I, I didn't like accounting, but I didn't really know what to do. Uh, and then they had a, um, Prudential had a, an internal uh, training program for the real, real estate analysts. And uh, I applied for that. And, and luckily, you know, that was my segue into real estate. I could see why you're humble and also why you are appreciative, because I think, you know, and I, I had a similar background, but I feel like when you're a kid who doesn't come out of like your parents know everyone and know everything, you think, oh, accounting will be a good path. And I think, 5% of people probably can take what you took and turn it into the career that you turned it into. So uh, that, that's unbelievable and a testament to, to who you are. And I think most of our listeners like to grab from this, well, what can they take to rise up the ranks the way you did? So, you know, obviously from there, you went over to Morgan Stanley. What was that like kind of taking that leap from, from Prudential to Morgan? Yeah, look, and again, uh, um, to me, that was eye-opening. Um, it was incredibly humbling. Um, but again, arguably the next best thing that happened in my life, I think. Um, again, I like to say real estate is not rocket science. Um, a lot of it, you know, half of it is can you get your arms around valuation and the numbers? And the other half is it can you really speak to people and deal with people? Because again, no matter where I've worked all over, you know, uh, the U.S. and Asia, 
I, I kind of talk about three letters, LTR, and it's like, trust, and respect. And, and I think that that resonates with people no matter, you know, where you're at. Um, and I think when I got to Morgan Stanley, what, uh, what blew me away was the number of top flight people that I got to work with, not only in the U.S., but all over the world. Uh, and again, foundationally, I remember starting and, and going down the Monday morning meetings, eight o'clock, everyone piles into the big conference room and we start going around and every managing director is talking about what they're working on. And then all of a sudden, you know, John Carafield shows up on the video screen from London and he's talking through the, the take private of Canary Wharf back in the day. And again, for me as a 30 year old kid, I was, you know, reading the Wall Street Journal. And, and again, I'm listening to him on the screen talk about it. And it was so it was just mind blowing. Uh, the other thing was, again, I um, I looked at myself relative to everyone else on that floor and almost everybody else had phenomenal educations. I mean, the, the, the laundry list of Ivy League schools was, you know, insane, uh, plus every other top ranked school. Uh, and not only colleges, a lot of these kids went to prep schools and boarding schools. And so it was just a, a very different environment. Um, which again, it just proved to me that, look, you can be intense. Uh, and I think the one thing I prided myself at through, you know, I literally was, was one of the first in the office every day and one of the last to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, my situation was a little bit different because I was single. So I, I didn't have a family and, and a significant other to, to kind of take care of. But I, I say, and I say this to the to kids that join us today, I said that, you know, nothing ever um, uh, replaces effort. And, and again, you're not expected to know all of the answers, but I do expect you to try, right? And I think, you know, putting in the time and the effort is incredibly important. Um, and again, like we can get into a, a different discussion about work from office uh, versus work from home. And, and you know, I just look at the work from office component for us and to, to just look at the collaboration and the people that are there all the time and spending the time and putting in the reps uh, to do what they need to do. Like, it's incredible. Right. And, and again, that that was like that. So Morgan Stanley for me was, you know, uh, like drinking from a fire hose because the intensity level, like you put that many type A people together on the floor and that's insanity. Right. It, in a good way. It, <laughs> it was just everybody was switched on. Everybody asked a lot of questions. Um, and to be honest, though, I would tell you most of those people, almost all of them were great. Like they are. And a lot of them are still great friends today. You know, um, a lot of them obviously. Uh, reconnected at Green Oak, uh, which became BGO. But um, the Morgan Stanley crew, and you look at how all of those people, you know, have moved on and, and got into very senior uh, levels all over the world. And it's just, I don't know if I'll ever be in a position to have worked with that many top flight people in one company. Like, it was just, it was phenomenal. Were any of those folks, I uh, in, like, mentors to you? Because I feel that the people who are able to kind of move up and especially in a big organization and stay there have strong mentors or strong sponsorship. And so I'm wondering, was that something that you think helped you kind of get through it? Well, so it's funny. So when I got to Morgan Stanley, the the guy that hired me, John Buza, was the head of asset management for the U.S. business. And John was a very big personality. Uh, he was very good at his job, um, and he didn't really care what other people said. I don't think he was a good politician, but he to to work with him uh, was great for me, right? And then that was, and again, I was only in the New York office for I think less than two years before I shipped out to Asia. Um, and then in Asia, I was blessed to to work with Sonny um, when Sonny Kelsey was building out the Asia business for Morgan Stanley. 
And, you know, over that time, Sonny definitely did become more of a mentor because I, I had two really good uh, years with John. And John actually is a good, dear friend today. Um, I still see him a couple times a year. But Sonny, again, that was when I saw somebody that, you know, talk about a full package and was incredibly charismatic, super smart, switched on, could talk about any subject matter to anybody. And then I looked at, again, because I, I kind of learned from a drank from a fire hose when I went to Asia. Uh, and I looked at all of these, you know, chairman level meetings that we took with Sonny and he held the room in every different country that we went to. Uh, I've never seen anybody like that. Um, I've never seen anybody command that kind of respect uh, and also loyalty, right? I mean, to look at that many people that I've worked with that would run through a wall for that person was mind blowing. Um, and, and again, he, if you know him, he endears, you know, he's endears himself to the entire team and, and people love to work for a person like that. So I was really blessed to, to be able to work for, you know, not only John in the U S but, you know, Sonny in Asia, working for someone in that, um, at that time uh, was so exciting because, you know, the Asia experience for me was, you know, both professionally and personally intoxicating, right? I mean, uh, China was opening up. We were all over the country. I was spending time in Macau when they were raising money to build casinos that didn't exist there, um, all over Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia. Again, I, I you know, and that's why, you know, I, you talk about gratitude. And, and for me, you know, I grew up in Long Island. I didn't travel. I didn't go on vacation. I didn't stay in hotels. I didn't do any of that. I didn't fly. Um, I was blessed a bit. I, I, I'm a, being a bit dramatic. I mean, I did go to the UK because my mother was from there and we, we went, you know, every other summer. But I didn't have a worldly experience. And I think to be able uh, to kind of jump in with both feet and kind of learn that and experience it. Again, I, I have a very different worldview today than I would have had had I only stayed in the U.S., right? And, and um, that's opened my eyes up incredibly you know, over time. Uh, but again, a lot of that goes to kind of how Sonny managed, right? And I, I think he gave uh, a lot of um, uh, room for people to run and prove themselves. And, and again, we had a phenomenal team all over the region. So I was able to work with very switched on, you know, people that expected a lot. Um, uh, but then we're also incredibly supportive. And I bet Sonny was very excited to get you over to BGO. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's funny. So I, you know, when I was at Morgan Stanley, after the great financial crisis, you know, a lot of people left, uh, Sonny included. Uh, and uh, working at a big bank, you know, became a lot less fun, to be honest. Um, it correlated with a time when my dad became uh, terminally ill very quickly. Uh, I knew I didn't really want to stay, um, so I ended up uh, resigning. Um, and I had been talking about a couple things, but I didn't have anything formally created. Uh, so that created some interesting conversations with my wife. But <laughs> I uh, we decided to um, go on my own in Singapore. Um, uh, and so I actually left Morgan Stanley and, and started up a couple businesses uh, and went on my own. And but it was funny every year, you know, both at Christmas time and, and summertime, I'd come back and I'd have lunch with Sonny and just catch up on what they were doing. Uh, and they had started taking off. Right. I mean, they did uh, Japan, Europe and, and the U.S. Um, and then so a couple of years into uh, on my own, I, I struck up a, a consulting agreement with Sonny um, and uh, the Green Oak team. And so I did consult for them for, you know, I was on my own from uh, January of 2012 to July of, of 2017. So I did do consulting. I did come back um, and chat with them. And, and I'll never forget, 
I think in December of 16, we came back and, and you know, my in-laws, um, my wife's an only child and my kids are their only grandchildren. My dad now had passed and my mother was on her own and I have two brothers, but but it, it kind of felt like the right time to, to leave Asia and come back. And my kids were still in elementary school, which was great timing for them. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll never forget, I, I flew back to Singapore um, on a, a Monday morning. I landed and I called Sonny and I, I said, hey, I just wanted to, to check in that I, I think we're going to head back when the school year is over. Uh, I don't think doing Asian capital advisory work uh, from New York is going to work unless I want to get divorced. Um, and if there's an angle to chat, you know, I would welcome it. Um, and if not, no big deal. And Sonny said, yeah, look, I'd love to have you come in and meet the team. And so I, I did. I met everybody. Uh, and then it was funny. Sonny said, uh, after I met, met everyone, he asked me to come back in and we chatted. And he said, well, I got good news and bad news. And he said, the good news is we're going to make you head of asset management. The bad news is you're the only asset manager. <laughs> so so um, Player at the at the of no one. What's that? Player coach of no one. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, but at the time, they actually had also hired a head of construction who I uh, I also learned to to love to work with and adore uh, just from a, a you know technical competency perspective, effort perspective, uh, and then that that's how I kind of got you know back to the U.S. Well, you're a managing partner there and the head of asset management. I mean, BGO is a huge firm. What what? What do you do? What is your what is your role? <laughs> what do you do on a day to day? Yeah, no. <laughs> so I uh, I oversee I'd say kind of business plan execution for uh, the real estate investing business uh, in the U.S. And so you know everything that we own um, across all the different funds. You know we have thirty different people in asset management across the country. Um, and then we also have the development and construction team that reports into me, uh, but that's run by Steve Mayich, uh, who oversees all the ground up work uh, that we do. And then uh, Myra Mesh in New York, who handles almost all of the, um, the renovation repositioning type work. And, and so I work with them, you know, very, very closely in terms of everything uh, that we're doing. So, you know, our team typically would get in. Uh, as we start to underwrite, and then once we close, we're, we're on top of it, running it day to day, um, and then we take it through, you know, exit when we um, we're looking to monetize. But you know, it's funny when you look at the evolutionary process. I think the one thing that's been great is is the talent level that we have is exceptional. Um, there's a lot of dialogue uh, between you know not only the transactions team, asset management, development, construction teams, and then the portfolio management team. So. I think it, it's unfolded quite nicely, I think, in terms of, you know, where I sit and what I look at. But um, I also laugh because it's not only the day to day execution where I would tell you I, I don't get into the details um, because uh, we are really blessed to have people that lead the different parts of the business, whether it's the office portfolio, um, the industrial portfolio or the multifamily business. You know, I mean, we have sector heads that lead those businesses. They do all of the day to day. Um, which really frees me up to, to a focus on um, strategic uh, type things, uh, and then also honestly a lot of the problems. Um, so if there's an issue or a problem with a deal or a partner or anything like that, I mean that's usually something that that will come onto my plate. Um, and then obviously being somewhat of a filter with senior management um, that that takes a bit of time as well. What skill set? Like hard skill sets, do you use to be a good asset manager? So I think um, 
from my perspective, again, now, you know, earlier on, it would have been Argus modeling and understanding financial reporting and uh, actively looking at P&Ls and, and quizzing either the partners or the property managers. Um, today, it, it's my, you know, my focus is really on more actively managing the team and the people that we have, right, and, and trying to put people in the right places, um, helping them uh, with uh, direct feedback, uh, which, again, the team is doing that all down the chain, up and down the chain in terms of all the different levels. Um, I think a lot of it is speaking to people um, uh, and, you know, dealing with partners. Um, and it's funny, I posted something this morning or yesterday about um, the art of uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, like, nobody likes to have those. And I think if you do like to have it, you have to be a very odd individual. <laughs> but but um, I think the more senior you get, the more of those you, you get involved in, right? And, and um, I, I always tell people, like, at the junior levels, if there's a problem, if there's an issue, like, you need to elevate it. I don't ever want you to be so stressed out because you think this is falling on you. Like I would never ever do that to anybody. And I said, look, at the end of the day, I have, I've been all through mainland China and I've had to deal with people all over India. There is not one thing that happens in the United States that scares me. Like I, I have had my head kicked in on difficult things operating in gray area where it's not black and white in foreign countries. I said, none of this stuff is not fixable, right? This, we can deal with any of this. Uh, and I think we, um, I tell them that to, to get it off your chest and elevate it, because if there's a problem or an issue, like I will take that, that, that will become my problem. Uh, I'll deal with it and, and you know, we'll, we'll try to do whatever we can to fix it. Um, and I think, and that's one of the things I do adore about some people because they, they, um, they keep it close to the best sometimes because they want to own it. Mm. Um, they want to try to fix it. Um, but again, you can do that under you know a certain time period, but at some point you just need, you might need some extra help. And so I think we try to do that, you know, pretty well. Well, the team that works under you is very lucky to have you. I'm sure, I'm sure you've mentored many people in your own right throughout your career with words. Like uh, well, look, I think um, I am lucky to have them. Right. And I look at, you know, from my perspective, I really work for them. Um, I want them to work hard. I want them to like it. Um, again, I've been blessed in that, uh, you know, I, I love going to work every day. So I, uh, there's not a day that I don't want to go in. Um, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of hobbies. So I think um, my, my mind tends to focus on, on work probably a bit too much. Um, but again, I, I think if you love uh, real estate, like I, I tell them all the time, I said, I don't know if there's a better firm out there than where we're at right now, because it's still run pretty entrepreneurial. Um, you know, a lot of senior management owns equity in the business. Um, you know, there will be a call option at some point with our parent company. But but everybody is aligned. Everybody thinks like owners. I think for the most part, you know, a lot of people care uh, and you want to do the right thing. And again, I, it, this is a, probably a, a good segue when you look at, you know, what happened after George Floyd was murdered and, and Sonny came out with a proclamation that two thirds of all new hires were going to be, you know, women or LGBTQ. Um, uh, related and the whole team fell in line and, and embraced that right and and again i think um everybody tries really hard to do the right thing and, and again in this environment at bgo I, I think we're also blessed in that it's a great team that i think tries really hard that again there's not a lot of jerks that we work with right i mean 
very, very, very limited. Um, I think most people enjoy being there. Uh, again, like you have to manage, you know, junior team members. And I think when you go through rocky markets and capital markets that are dysfunctional and transaction volumes slow down, I think, you know, we try to reinforce that this is a market issue. It's not a BGO issue. Uh, because again, some people might think that, oh, that what's happening with the firm. And it's like, whoa, whoa, this is happening to everybody, right? This is not, you know, specific, uh, to us. Um, and then again, I think, you know, when we look at, you know, how we've done recruiting and training and trying to keep people, um, you know, one of the things that comes up is, is, you know, kind of imposter syndrome and some people that think that they don't belong. And, and I tell them all the time, I said, I said, look, I would never equate what happened to me at Morgan Stanley, um, to what any of my minority colleagues might have had to face or my LGBTQ colleagues. But I, you know, I did not grow up with a country club membership. I didn't go away on these four season vacations. I didn't do any of that. So uh, I most definitely had imposter syndrome um, when I got to Morgan Stanley. And to a certain extent, I, I probably still have some of that or carry around some of that as baggage today. Right. I mean, that's just a, a result of how I grew up. But I think um, it's something we, we think about. Uh, we know it's an issue. And um and that's why I think when you talk about uncomfortable conversations, like I'm not going to have all the answers when we're trying to recruit minorities or, or LGBTQ colleagues. Um, uh, and some of the, the, those conversations are difficult, right? Because we I don't have the experience uh, there, but everybody knows that, right? And, and I think, you know, on that basis, you know, that's where we try uh, to do the right thing. And, and again, the whole firm has gotten behind that, which I think, again, has been incredibly heartening to watch and, and witness. Do you, you came to our uh, asset management roundtable event. Um, thank you for doing that. And, you know, you, you took time out of your day to do that. And, you know, you, it's not like it's Princeton's like super close to the city. So, you know, it wasn't like super easy for you. And did you, I mean, do you find you're always like, is that, has that been an important part of your life, your career to be out and just meeting people, comp, you know, consistently? I thought you, so, <laughs> I thought you came for the cookies. They were great cookies. <laughs> ah, well, that too. They, they were a great cookie. Um, I, it's funny because I would tell you um, I'm a pretty introverted person. Um, if you put me in social situations where I don't know a lot of people, that's not a place that I would thrive, right? And I think the one place where I am confident that I feel comfortable is when we do talk about real estate, right? I, I think it's, again, it's not, rocket science. And again, I've been blessed with the experience um, and the activities that I've been involved in, the things that I've seen, the people that I've met, um, which has, you know, provided a level of confidence that maybe I wouldn't have had if I didn't have the experience that I had. And so in that environment, I'm pretty okay, right? I'm, I'm comfortable enough to handle myself. Um, but it's not, it's not entirely easy, right? I, I think it's a, it's a learned skill. Um, and again, I've been blessed in, in terms of some of uh, my experiences. You know, when I was in my executive MBA class at NYU, I had a colleague um, uh, who was involved in politics who I literally just watched her a few times in how she worked a room. And that is an absolute gift to, to watch somebody that is able to engage with anybody and everybody, um, you know, in a room is magical, right? And um that leaves you for wanting to be able to be like that a bit, but, but that's not for everybody. That that's an art. 
Um, and again, I think, you know, on the back of uh, the experience that I've had, that, that enables me to have a discussion with counterparties that are involved in the same sector that I am. But by no means, you know, am I this bombastic, outgoing person that is able to simply talk to everybody, anybody, anytime. That, that, that's a skill, right? And that, that's a, a blessing if you have that. And I, I'm lucky because I, I do have a couple of friends that are like that, but that, that's not easy. And I think when we put together the roundtable, that was the goal. You take people who might otherwise not call each other and say, hey, how's it going in your office portfolio? But you put those people in a room together. And I feel like the ideas that go around, because nobody understands the problems of the portfolio, like your brethren and whatever the female version of that is, in, in other firms that are going through these same issues right now. So it's... Um, how how much do you think it's helped you in your career to be a part? And I know you're you're very active in ULI and other industry organizations to get the view outside of the organizations that you work in. Do you think it's been helpful? Oh, incredibly. And I know that you guys, I think, are trying to put something more formal together about uh, the roundtable. Um, I think things like that are incredibly helpful because I think, again, look, we all compete with each other. Um, but I actually don't look at it that way because I look at, um, I think we compete more with ourselves, right? I think, I understand people are out doing their own thing, but but I honestly focus on what we do, how we do it, and what we do, right? And and because again, I think, you know, we are uh, most definitely an active asset manager. Like we, we don't just sit on the sidelines. We actively think through um, a lot. And I think uh, to hear what competitors are doing um, is always helpful. Right. And again, they just they maybe think differently than we do or their book is built differently, whether it's, you know, more core or more value add or more core plus. So I think everyone has different objectives in terms of how they operate. You know, some people are, are um, you know, working under the construct of a, uh, a big insurance company umbrella and some are, you know, high octane private equity. And so they all have different objectives. And I think one of the great things about the roundtable is um, when you might know a person's name, but you haven't met them, right? right? And, and so to be able to put a face to a name, because again, I can't tell you how many times where I've had to actually make a phone call and, and whether just, hey, ask for a favor or think, how have you done this? Or, you know, what do you think of this? But the, those roundtables to me are incredibly helpful because it's just connecting dots with people that you might not have connected with before. Well, I'll tell you this. You walked into that room. You definitely command You have a presence, Rob. I know you think you don't, but you people, uh, it feels like you are working the not working the room, but you know, people are, you're talking to people. It does not, it is not, you're, you're hiding your introvert introversion. <laughs> right. And anybody in that room, if you told them that there was any glimmer of imposter syndrome inside of you would think you're, would never believe it. Right. And that's, that's the interesting thing about somebody who comes up, you've, you have the grit and the determination because failure was never an option for you. It wasn't that there was a trust fund waiting for you if it didn't work out. And so I think the other side of that, to be able to turn that around and, and I do a lot of like etiquette classes with with minorities who are coming into roles. And that's always the first thing they talk about, which is, I don't know how to dress. I don't know what to say. I don't know, you know, the things that you learn at a country club, I've never learned those things. And how do I fit in? And I, I find it really interesting because I think the flip side of that is when you, when you take people who grew up the other way 
they always feel like it's hard to come with that grit. So mm. there's, there's a silver lining. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think honestly, grit uh, counts for a lot. Right. And I, I think um, it's funny. So we, we've hired a couple of analysts and, and again, I tell them you are going to hear definitional words. You're going to hear acronyms. You have no idea what they mean. Uh, I know that you might feel silly or stupid in a meeting, not knowing that, and you don't want to ask the question. I said, there's not one person on this floor that will not take time out of their day to talk to you about a question that you have, whether you didn't understand something or why something is done one way and not another. Um, so I said, you know, you come in as a new hire, expectations are pretty low, right? I mean, we're not expecting anybody to, to know everything. And I said, all I expect you to do is put in the time and the effort. Now, if you don't, then start asking questions about things and uh, you don't really go anywhere like that. That's a problem. Right. And then that's my only expectation. And I think most of the junior talent we have has been exceptional in terms of uh, making them themselves available um, and in terms of new projects, uh, new things we're working on. And then plenty of them come after the fact and, and sit, hey, do you have two minutes? Can you talk to me about this? Or why did you say this? Or why did you do this? And I, I think that, you know, has been incredibly helpful. Um, and again, I think we take a lot of pride at a senior management level, being able to, to help coach and teach and mentor um, the junior talent, because I think for us, you want to obviously get them up to curve so that they are impactful and providing leverage. Uh, but then the, the other half of that battle is making that sure that you provide a, a future pathway and a career path that make them want to stay. Right. And, and a lot of these kids are driven, regardless of what you hear. Uh, to the contrary, a lot of these kids are very driven. They want to do well. They want to put in the time and they want to get paid. And so you have to it's a balancing act on on how you put all of that stuff uh, together. I agree. Yeah. That intellectual curiosity is everything. So when you have that, you're going to come much further than somebody who doesn't. And, you know, it is interesting when you deal with associates and analysts you're not born knowing these words. I don't care who you are. You know, it's just to really understand what the acronyms and all, there's just so much. And so, you know, I think instilling that in anybody that you mentor to understand that, like the people you work for are so happy. If you shoot them a text or ask them, what is, you know, X, Y, Z stand for? I think people really appreciate that. Well, I would tell you too, though, conversely, again, this isn't for everybody. And not everybody wants to do this. And I, again, I remember I had a couple of conversations. I said, I said, look, this is the expectation is that you work hard and that you put in the time and that you ask a lot of questions. If this isn't for you, like we will help you. Like I would make introductions to you to go somewhere else. If this, this, you know, expectation is too much for you. And if this just isn't a good fit, I actually don't think anybody's taken me up on <laughs> that offer, which is probably a great thing. But again, like you, you want to have people there that are engaged that want to be there, right? Right. Um, I do. Uh, the one thing I, I we had a, a Navy SEAL give a, a, um, a speech to us a couple months ago down at a, a senior offsite. Cool. And he talked about being all in all the time. And again, you know, that was me from the the moment I started at, at Prudential in the real estate group. I was in all in all the time. And and again, that's because I, I love doing what we do. Um, as you get older and you get, you know, uh, a bit more empathetic, like this might not be for somebody all in all the time. You know, maybe they have different needs, different wants. Um, I remember uh, during uh, COVID, I had an interview with an analyst and literally the first thing he told me was, 
uh, he wanted, he was looking for work-life balance. And I told him, I, I'm not so sure that this is the right job, <laughs> right? The, the expectations are, are high and there's a lot of effort that needs to get put in. It just, this is probably not the right place to start if that, that's your main objective. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not, yeah, it's just not the fit. Exactly. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I think acknowledging that, you know, what is a good place to go to and, and what might not be is, is you know, the battle. Well, your next battle is going to be the hardest one you've ever faced, and that is the hot seat. The Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities reduce turnover and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. <laughs> it's getting hot in I here. Think about this. <laughs> it's really hot in here. Sure. Now, Rob, do you have a book or podcast and or podcast recommendation? I would tell you I love listening to Joe Rogan. Okay. Yeah, cool. good one. Good one. Yeah. So you've done a lot of different deals in your career. Um what what stands out as most memorable to you? Hmm. Uh, I would tell you, I think one of the, the ones that stuck out was 140 Broadway, where uh, back at Morgan Stanley, we were partners with Larry Silverstein. Uh, and having gone through 9-11, um, I think that was the, the first really big tower downtown to sell after 9-11. Um, it was a complex sale. We found asbestos during the sale. Um, you know, um, listening to Larry and how that guy was, you think I'm positive. He was incredibly more positive. He is, he's like me on steroids, but <laughs> listening to how he was going to rebuild downtown and, and um, uh, the architects that he had and his vision. Uh, again, John Buza took me down to meet him because um, uh, we obviously were partners at 140. And then, and then, you know, listening to him talk about that after everything was destroyed, right? I mean, I was like, wow, that this guy is incredible, right? And and that's one thing that just jumped out at me. Um, I remember working with his team incredibly closely. It was very mm -hmm. complex. We had a lot of problems uh, and his team was phenomenal to work with, right? And, and we just had a great outcome on the building. But uh, I remember, you know, dealing with um, uh, the insurance markets that were a mess after that. Um, and it was funny, we had a, a major tenant there, Brown Brothers Harriman, where I remember negotiating uh, with uh, one of their senior partners, Roddy Klotz. You know, talk about 20 years later, I just sat on a uh, uh, panel at a Jersey City event mm. uh, with Roddy, uh, which was great. Uh, we went at it as a landlord and tenant uh, negotiating. Uh, and then now it was all, uh, you know, more as friends uh, to reconnect, which was really, really nice. 
It's awesome. I imagine that doing anything alongside Larry Silverstein would be memorable and rewarding because he's truly one of a kind. So, yeah, incredible. You know, one of the industry titans. So you mentioned you, you mentioned a lot of characteristics that you look for in people you, that work uh, that you hire. How do you? Is there anything you do to try to like anything special you do to try to vet out those characteristics during an interview process? Like, how can you tell? So it's funny. Yeah. So it's funny. I uh, some of it honestly comes down to gut, right? I mean, you want to make sure that that you're you have qualified people. Um, I would tell you, like, we just went through a, a senior search on the, the development construction side. Um, it was really enlightening in that we had a very diverse pool um, to interview with. Um, and then at the end, it, it really came down to two incredibly qualified candidates. Um, and some of it was gut in terms of which we thought was not only going to be incredibly good from a technical perspective, right? Because I think technical competency counts for a lot. But honestly, it's the culture part that is incredibly critically important because I think you want somebody that is going to be immersed with the team that they can work with, that they're going to like uh, and respect. Right. And, and I think, um, you know, with our recent hire, Myra, you know, we hit the jackpot I and mean, she's been a phenomenal add to the team. It's awesome. Congrats. So, so this is. The Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. And I think we've gotten a few glimmers of how you've made an impact in your career. But what do you kind of think about as your biggest impact? Is it mentoring? Is it a deal that you've done as far as kind of the legacy? Oh, I don't, I don't know if I have a legacy. I, I think, um, look, I think we, uh, I like to say we block and tackle as good as anybody. Um, I think uh, our ability to, to make quick, efficient, um, rational and reasonable decisions is something I try to, to make sure that the team you know, embraces, um, making sure that you are testing the junior talent um, and putting them on deals to, to see how they perform. Uh, and the, the one thing I think, um, you know, having gone through COVID, you know, you talk about managing through an empathetic lens, right? And I think we had to deal with that uh, with a lot of tenants that had so many financial issues, uh, but then also with your own team, right? And then, you know, managing through a, a junior team that was not in the office, that was working remote uh, and all of the, um, the issues that came out of that. I think, again, I'm early 50s now and, and the way I look at the world is very different than when I was 25 or 30. I think uh, empathy goes a long way and I think caring about um, the people that work with you and for you and um, it is an incredibly different perspective that I have today because, um, again, it, you know, you hear about people that talk about, you know, work is like family. And look, to me, that that's not exactly the case. I mean, work is work and family is family. Um, but you do want to create an environment that, that people want to be a part of, right, that they want to stay here and they like it here and they like the people they work with. And so I'm very focused on that you know, today relative to what I might not have been focused on, you know, years and years ago. Love it. Well, Rob, Nasso, really appreciate your, your time here on the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. And uh, please keep fighting the good fight and look forward to seeing you again at the next roundtable. Well, guys, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And it's, it's a uh, great program that you guys have put together and look forward to so much more. Thanks.